Thank you, Hannah and Andy, again, for serving us this week. Let's talk about the word super. We can use this word in a variety of ways, right? You could talk about Superman. And when you're talking about Superman, you're not really thinking of, you're using the term super as in like exceeding, not what normally is a man, but he kind of goes beyond that. It's not normal, right? The same thing goes with Supergirl. We use that term when we think about the word supernatural, right? We think of things that aren't natural. Does that make sense? We think of it as something that is somehow goes beyond the realm of what is supposed to be natural. But there's a different way to look at the word super. If you look at the dictionary, the word super is described more like something that's very good, an exceptional example or the exemplary thing, you know, representation of what it is that you're describing. So, if I go to my favorite ramen noodle shop in Pasadena, near where I live, there's a place called Ramen Tatsunoya, and man, it is really good. If you haven't had real ramen noodles, not like the packaged stuff, that, that fried stuff that you kind of add hot water to and then it's done, like the real stuff, the stuff that's handmade, the broth is made over a course of, you know, two days, it's super tasty. Right? And so when I say super tasty, you know that I'm not meaning that it's not tasty. I'm saying that this is an exemplary example of ramen noodles, right? It's super tasty. I could say this, I mean, you've, you, you got, after about a month here, you kind of get the picture that I like to talk about my kids and about food. So the next thing is about my kids, right? I could talk about my two-year-old as super cute, because she is. I mean, she's a handful, but she's super cute. But what if we applied that to the word supernatural? When we think about things that are supernatural, like we're going to read about in Acts chapter 2, I'd like to contend that we're looking at something that is less unusual and more the way things really should be. The exemplary example the pinnacle of what is natural or what should be natural, and that is our experience of the Holy Spirit. Supernatural. We're going to continue this morning our exploration of the theme of Christ's mission, which we began a couple weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we recalled that Christ's mission, as we participate in it, is witness. And last week, Matt reminded us that we are to be a place, churches in general, but specifically us as well, a place that welcomes others into a journey of repentance and relationship with God where we experience together the love and grace that God offers us. To be that compelling community where people want to come and want to come back. And today we're going to continue in our story of the book of Acts and look into the story that is referred to as the day of Pentecost. You find that in Acts chapter 2. We're going to have the words on the screen. If you want to turn there, you may as well. Now, for those of us who are familiar with this passage, but aren't, well, weren't raised in a Pentecostal or charismatic church, the events that happen here in this text are often viewed as supernatural, one word, right? A little bit beyond what we normally experience. 
But today, as we look closer into Acts chapter 2, I'd like to challenge us to consider a different side of this story. The supernatural Christian life. The way things should be. And we're going to find that the Holy Spirit is a supernatural part of our Christian life, of our regular experience as the Holy Spirit empowers us to participate in Christ's mission. We're going to unpack that a little bit, but let's first go through this text together. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, that is, the followers of Jesus, who were kind of not sure what to do next. Jesus had been with them, and they're kind of, eh, what are we going to do now? Suddenly, the sound, of a blowing vi- sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on all of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation. That term God-fearing means they were Jewish proselytes. They were converts to Judaism. They were themselves not ethnically Hebrew. Um, They were ethnically outsiders. They were Gentiles. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? It's not like they were even from the capital or one of the Grecian cities where they would have had exposure to other languages to learn them. They're from Galilee, farm town. Then how is it that each of us hears it in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, not like We don't use that term a whole lot anymore, but these are people from Crete. Crete and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. And amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Now, I don't know what wine makes you speak in other languages, but I'll drink it, you know. If it could do that. I mean, the Menus family I read recently that we were praying for, they're apparently fluent in six languages. Man, I wish I could have that. I would take a sip of that wine. But that wine doesn't exist, right? I mean, some people are just kind of like, they just didn't know what to make of what was going on. Now, here in, in Pentecost, we need to understand, this, people are gathering because this is feast season, For those who are converts to Judaism, there's something called the Feast of Weeks or Feast of Harvest that takes place around this time. And they're coming together to worship. They're coming together to participate in this festival. It is the 50th day of the celebration, hence Pentecost, the 50th day of that celebration. In this passage, we find that the Holy Spirit is exhibiting what I believe is a supernatural, two words, part of the Christian life, empowering people to participate in Christ's mission. Now, but to build this out a little bit further, I'd like to look at it this way. The Holy Spirit is a supernatural part of every Christian's life, including you and I, empowering us to share the grace 
of, and love of God with all people. Now, this is a long statement, and I understand that, so we're going to take a little bit of time to unpack this. The first thing that we see here is that the Holy Spirit is a supernatural part of every Christian's life. Not just the select few, not those who've been following Jesus for a long time, for every Christian's life. It is a supernatural part of our experience as Christians. After the seemingly confusing incident where people are speaking different languages, Peter steps up in the verses that follow, and he addresses the crowd. And one of the things that he begins with is he quotes the prophet Joel. He says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Notice that in this text, I'm going to hi- I highlight them for you, there's multiple references that demonstrate that in this passage from Joel that Peter is quoting here in Acts, there is an emphasis on the totality of those upon whom the Holy Spirit is poured out. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon everyone who would follow and who would receive him. If you jump later, in the, in, later toward the end of Acts chapter 2, in, in about round verse 30, 38, Peter, after he's kind of talking to the people and telling them, you know what, you guys kind of crucified this guy. He turned out to be God. Um, but that's okay. We can repent. But the funny thing about this way that this, the narrative works is it's sort of, and then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. It's sort of matter of fact. It isn't this sort of repent and believe and wait some time, maybe, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit will come. No, it's just matter of fact. You come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to you. It is a part of everyone's life. It's natural results are, are things that we just kind of take for granted. But when you're a ki- parent of a toddler, again, here I'm talking about kids again, um, you get to enjoy watching them learn natural results. Natural results are like when she's running down the hallway but doesn't slow down um, at the turn and then hits the wall. It's a natural result. You know, if you didn't slow down, you're going to hit the wall and it's going to hurt. Or if you throw rice on the floor, we're going to throw it away. We're not going to let you eat it. It's just, that's just how things are, right? That's how things are. The Holy Spirit comes upon all of us. It's not to a select few. The Holy Spirit comes upon all of us. But to what end? Well, the Holy Spirit empowers us to share the grace and love of God. The Holy Spirit does a lot of things here in this passage, but when we look, at, look here in the book of Acts, there's an empowering witness that takes place. And it's confirmed not only through the people that are speaking in different languages, also confirmed in what Peter says that everybody is going to prophesy, but it's also confirmed in the very words or the, the narrative, the story that is Peter here in, this, in, in, in Acts chapter 2. If you're not familiar with Peter... Peter was one of the disciples. You could have called him Peter the Brash or 
Peter the uncouth, or Peter the dense, he just doesn't seem to understand a lot of things, or Peter the betrayer, he was probably less educated than some of the other disciples, certainly less educated than Levi. He wasn't trained in biblical interpretation. He didn't have a degree of any sort. He was a fisherman. He probably, we see passages in the, in, in, in the Gospels where he just sort of lashes out out of anger. He's not the guy you want standing up there representing to give the explanation of what's going on. He seemed insecure. Right? I, I was, I, I was, sometimes I just get lost in some, you know, internet rabbit trails, and I came across this band called the, from the UK called the Insecure Men. I thought that was an amazing band name. The insecure men. Peter would have been a part of that group, right? This dude was not secure. He was lashing out at everybody. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't seem to understand what Jesus was about. And yet here he is, standing up and addressing everybody to explain what is going on. He speaks because the Holy Spirit is with him. He has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. He, the Spirit allows him or empowers him to share the grace and love that he himself received. Remember, Peter, at the time of Jesus' arrest and then crucifixion, turned his back on Jesus. The one that he said, oh, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. But when things got hard, he said, oh, I don't know. Like, that's, I don't know him. I don't know this guy. The Gospels tell us that he wept because he hurt for what he had done. He had been broken. He knew he had made a mistake. He knew that he was a mess. But yet God restored him. Jesus restores him and invites him back to the table toward the end of the Gospels. And that's the Peter that we see here. He's not sharing some sort of random philosophical treatise on what he thinks God is doing in the world. He is sharing a message of repentance and forgiveness because that is what he received. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do the same. The Holy Spirit empowers us to share the grace and love of God that we have experienced and received with others. Well, you may say that's good, you know, that's all well and good, but this is really hard to do, right? Why is it so hard for us to do that? To share, to open our arms to people that we don't know, who are different from us. Why? Well, there's probably all sorts of reasons. There's certainly today an amount of peer pressure and an uncoolness about sharing faith. People don't generally like to hear about it. You know, one of the groups of people that's okay to make fun of in media now is Christians, and we just kind of accept it, and we, you know, it's not the coolest thing, so I'm just going to keep quiet. We have this pressure to want to be cool, right? It's what fads are, right? Everybody wants to do the same thing because it's cool. It's what's in. You know, I was thinking about, I was thinking about my wardrobe this week. I was like, because I'm commuting over here, and I'm staying over here in Ventura County while I'm here, and I've got to plan out what I'm going to wear and I was looking at these, you know, jeans and these pants, and they're kind of a little bit tight, you know, and, but that's just kind of how things are. Skinny jeans are the rage right now, right? Everybody's wearing skinny jeans. 
And then I thought about my middle school experience, and there's something called pegging your genes. Now, I don't know if anybody here is in that right age bracket to have experienced this, but when I was in middle school, we used to take the bottom of our pant legs and like fold them tighter around you know, our calves and then roll them really tight on the bottom so that it would hold together nicely. And of course, like skinny jeans, you know, it, the, kind of where the hem was was a little bit above the ankle. You can see a little bit of the sock. It's funny how fashion kind of comes around again. Skinny jeans are a variation of peg pants back in the day. But we did that. I mean, when I look at that, I think, man, that looks awful. But at, it, at the time, it was cool, right? I mean, hammer pants were cool too. Believe it or not, I had hammer pants. Um, yeah, those, were, those are a nightmare now to think about. But you see, we do these things, we adjust the fads, we get into different things because they're cool, right? There are documentaries that tell us about all the ways that we are being marketed to be cool, right? At the forefront of those things are, are companies like Apple and Google who are basically telling us what's cool and what's not, and we believe them. And then we want to follow what is cool. We want to do what's cool because we want to fit in. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with wanting to be liked. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be winsome. In fact, as Christians, we should be winsome and welcoming and fun. That's a, that's a you know, novel idea. Christians should be fun. Church should be fun. We get so caught up, however, we could get so caught up in that sort of world sometimes, however, that we lose sight of being okay with occasionally being different. Christ set us apart for a reason. You have a message in Jesus Christ that is different than what the broader society offers. Sometimes we get too preoccupied with fads that we lose sight of being able to share because we're afraid. But it is the power of the Holy Spirit in us that helps us overcome our weakness and our fear to share the love of God. And not just share the grace and love of God with just a couple people, but the church globally is to share with all people. Gathered here in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 2, are people from all over that region, worshipers of the Jewish God. And when they arrive in Jerusalem, these people, whose native language is something else, have to interact in common Greek, called Koine Greek, and in Aramaic, because that's the popular language of that region, and when they go to the temple, they have to have some amount of Hebrew. None of that is in their language. They have to figure it out, perpetually feel like the outsider, the foreigner. And some of those people come from regions that in that day had strife with the people of Israel, the Jewish people. So to focus on what's going on in Acts chapter 2 as some sort of unreal supernatural event that we can't even touch to lose the point, because what's happening here is Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is communicating to the heart language of the people who are gathered. The heart language. That is a really important idea, a heart language. What is a heart language? Well, a heart language is the, kind of like home cooking, 
right? Uh, Why are all my illustrations kids or food? Home cooking. You have certain kinds of food that you grew up with in your home, right? And they touch you a certain way. I mean, now, you, as you grow up, you may be able to make a better version of it. I mean, if you're like me, you know, you can troll through YouTube videos all day and figure out how the best way is to make this or that. And you probably make a better version of it now if you really wanted to. Or you can go to a restaurant and find a different one. But it's different when it comes from home. For me, one of those home cooking things is a braised beef noodle soup that my mom used to make. It's a classic Taiwanese dish. And we didn't do it all the time, and we didn't have it all the time. But every once in a while, my mom would spend the extra time to cook that beef slowly, and the the broth would be rich and flavorful, and the noodles would be just right. And oh man, it was so good, and I loved it. And even to this day, it touches my soul in a way that I cannot explain. It's a food that touches my heart. It's my home cooking. Now, for your home cooking, it might be different. For my wife, it's cheesy chicken, cheesy broccoli, and cheesy potatoes. She's from Wisconsin. (laughs) Home cooking, our heart language, the things that touch us a certain way. You could say the same thing about worship, can't you? If you grew up with church music a certain way, There are certain songs that will reach you in a way that other songs, you may appreciate other styles, but they'll touch you and reach you a certain way because that's what you are connecting with in your heart. Home cooking. The people who came to Jerusalem to worship were worshiping outside of their heart language. So what happens here in Acts chapter 2 is tremendously important as it is directly related to who Jesus is. Jesus, as some, many uh, mission scholars have wrote, written about this, Jesus accomplishes the first translational act by going from godhood to humanity, right? To put himself in an understandable form, to speak to humans at the human level. Inherently, the incarnation of Jesus is a missional act, a missional moment. And so what's happening in Acts chapter 2 is an extension of that. It is to say to all peoples, God can speak to you in your heart language. You don't have to become like the Jews at the temple. Jesus, God, will speak to you directly in your heart language. The Holy Spirit speaks the heart languages of all. Jesus is not confined by human culture, by divisions of race, by geopolitical boundaries or political parties for that matter. Jesus is translatable to all peoples everywhere of all cultures, races, socioeconomic classes, and genders. Jesus can be translated to all and is for all. And the Holy Spirit in this passage, that is sort of the crux of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Reaching all people. I believe that this is the supernatural way it's supposed to be. Look, if sin didn't come into the picture, we would still have cultural differences. I would still be of Taiwanese descent, right? 
we would still have cultural differences. But without sin, without the tendency towards selfishness and pride, without wanting to have our way, having things all in our heart language and not extending to the heart languages of others at the expense of others, without sin, the global and local cross-cultural encounters that are everywhere around us would be met with humility and grace rather than suspicion and prejudice. Cross-cultural encounters would be accompanied by a self-giving spirit that seeks to understand, to listen, and to learn, and to communicate to other people's heart languages because we have humility and we're sacrificing for one another. Without sin, we wouldn't have things like the strife, the injustice, and the oppression, both intentional and unintentional, both individual and systemic. But you see, those things that we see in our world today are not the natural way. They are not the way things are supposed to be. It is the Holy Spirit that bridges the gap, that empowers God's people to cross that divide, to break down walls, to be open, to be humble, to listen and to learn that we might know others and welcome others into the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit uses imperfect people to speak the heart languages of others. This is what is supernatural or what should be supernatural in our experience. The Holy Spirit empowers us to share the grace and love of God with all people. As a church, looking through the beginning of Acts, we've been focusing on what it means for us to engage in Christ's mission. We've observed that God's mission for us is a mission of witness, of sharing. We were reminded last week by Matt that we are to welcome other people into our community to have an invitational spirit that allows other people to join us in this journey with Christ. We are charged with being that sweet community that other people want to join. But what are we asking people to join into? What are we welcoming people into? What are we inviting people to participate in? Is it a nice church building? Yeah, but there's more than that. Is it nice worship music and a good kids program? Yes, but there's more than that. Is it nice snacks and beverages? I certainly like those, but it's more than that. Is it to be a part of our community of faith, to share life and to care for one another? Yes, but more than that, we are inviting people to come and experience the love and grace which we have received that is openly extended without reserve to the stranger and the outsider, like the people who came to Jerusalem to worship. We're inviting people to experience what Peter experienced. Peter was not a perfect person. I am not a perfect person. We're inviting people to see that there's freedom in knowing that God loves you, even if you are flawed. 
that God embraces you despite our inconsistencies and our hypocrisies. That like Peter, you and I are not defined by our sins, but we are defined by the love and grace of Jesus. We're inviting others to see this and to see that in our broken and fractured world that there is an answer. And that answer isn't human beings trying harder to get along. We've tried that for millennia and it doesn't work. There is an answer, however, to what ails the world. And that is the kind of openness and love and grace that can be shared through the Holy Spirit to all people. We're inviting people to find the answer to what ails our country, to what ails our world. The Holy Spirit empowers us to share the love and grace of Christ with our communities, with our families, with our co-workers, with all people. Now, as we close out um, the message today, I'd like to suggest three different things that maybe we could consider as a way to respond to the Pentecost story. Maybe it's an uh, encouragement for you to just to recognize that God is active in the world and to praise God for what the Holy Spirit is doing and how elsewhere in the world people are still coming to Jesus by the thousands and thousands. The church is still growing. We should take heart that there are people who are out there empowered by the Spirit to share the love and grace of Jesus. Perhaps the Spirit of God is inviting you to do what should be supernatural, to experience the empowerment of the Spirit and share, to invite Maybe there is a neighbor that you've thought about inviting that you just haven't invited. Or maybe you invited that person 20 years ago and they said no. And you thought 20 years ago they said no, so maybe they'll say no now, but you know, 20 years have passed. Maybe God is putting on your heart someone to invite, to welcome into this faith community. Maybe you need to hear this invitation yourself as someone who feels like you're on the outside looking in. That maybe you have felt unwelcome or felt like everything in church is not in my heart language. And maybe you need to know and be reminded that God loves you and will speak your language and will speak to your heart. There may be other ways that you are interacting with this text, but I just want to say that here in Acts chapter 2, what we're seeing is not some unnatural event. It is supernatural, the way things should be. Let's pray. God, would you empower us Lord, may we experience you in such a way that all of us 
would have the courage to welcome, to share, to reach out, to extend a hand, to learn, to be open, to have humility toward the other. Holy Spirit, would you empower us as a church to be a welcoming community that other people may come in and find that you are loving and gracious. And Lord, may we be reminded that we are Gentiles too, most of us, on the outside looking in, and yet you loved us enough to speak to us in our heart language. Lord, may we extend that to others, that others would experience the joy and wonder that is a relationship with the living God. In Christ's name, amen.